Hi, I'm Christiana Gaudet. I love tarot. I love the Grateful Dead. I love Robin Renee. And you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Welcome to episode 111. This season, we've been exploring the theme of acceptance in all of our featured interviews. We've been talking to guests about various aspects of acceptance, you know, from acceptance of self to others, and, you know, just looking at the state of the world. And we've been really, really just looking at it from a lot of different angles. It's been real interesting. And in this episode, I'm very happy to share my discussion with tarot grandmaster and a friend of mine, Christiana Godet. She has identified a series of cards that she calls uh, the four cards of acceptance. So she has a lot of wonderful insight to share about really about the human experience overall and social justice and how she uses the tarot as her lens to those conversations. So I am really looking forward to that later in the show. Yeah. That sounds really cool. And uh, this time in the Geekscape, we are going to get into the high weirdness that is the Church of the Subgenius. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how have you been, Robin, uh, this past fortnight? <laughs> it has been good. I um, this weekend I went to a small gathering of people and. It was my friend's, I guess, early Fright Night party. <laughs> so that was fun to get to dress up and, you know, do do some fun sort of uh, fun stuff. And so I went as the heat miser. <laughs> if, you remember, if you remember the stop motion uh, animation thing from the Christmas, what was it the, the year without the Santa Claus? Okay. And uh, that was it was very fun. And I've been thinking about it because, like, my hair is, is dyed red now anyway. And it's been kind of like a joke, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do my heat miser hair today or whatever. <laughs> and and then separately, I was thinking, oh, man, I have to come up with a costume. I don't have a costume. I don't know what to do and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wait, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was it was, it was was fortuitous and, and a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. How about you? What's up? Ah, uh, well... I interviewed for a job that I'm not going to get, and I went through the entire gamut of mentally spending all the money I would earn, mm. <laughs> and, and I'm okay. It's fine. I'm looking forward to my 28th wedding anniversary on Friday. Oh, wow. Uh, I still haven't figured out what we're doing. I think there will be food prepared by someone other than us. <laughs> I think that's about as far as we've gotten. I don't know that I, I even want to go out to a restaurant I, or just like do, you know, takeout. I haven't figured that out yet, but. I have liked the fact that we still have good, decent enough weather to do some outdoor dining type things. Mm. So that I, I, I enjoy that. 
I'm trying to get in the sort of social things that can be done outdoors while we have the ability to do it, you know, since yeah. it's going to go into a, you know, another one of those keep close and don't be stupid times of the year, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not looking forward to stupid times, but uh, there's no. some, you know, there's a few events next month. I'm actually, those will be my first social things outside the house. Um, I'm doing a, a craft fair at the first weekend of November. And then I'm going to PhilCon, mm. which is the Philadelphia area science fiction convention that is happening in a hotel in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Right. And they, you can find any, if your listeners, it, there's still time to go to that. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. It's philcon.org. And uh, it's for people who are into science fiction and fantasy. And, you know, you get to meet some writers and artists and there's stuff going on. And uh, I will be vending there. Nice. Yeah, a gamer yeah. friend of mine is, is on a panel, he said. So I'm going to yeah. see what that's see what it's about and you know like you i am feeling i was i'm still a little nervous about having gone to this this party i mean i know absolutely everyone was vaccinated and my friend is hyper cautious about covid but it's still you know it's yeah it's still nervous making and i'm sort of very very cautiously venturing out a, out a little bit too but you know but yeah. not trying to overdo so and uh, and there is a rumor that that Robin and I might be doing a live broadcast from PhilCon, which we did at the last PhilCon, which was in 2019. That's right. Right? Yes. So, so yeah, there's a rumor that that might be the case. We'll see. We haven't. <laughs> it's still we haven't the determined the, the veracity of this rumor. <laughs> Uh, anyway. But it was fun. It was fun to to get drunk in front of a live streaming audience. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was fun for me. I don't know. If it was fun for anyone else. Right. Yes, that is titled "Live Evil." If you want to go back and listen to our <laughs> to our, I think it's past on YouTube, broadcast. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, did, did, I don't know. I mean, I, I know, know we. I know it's on Facebook Live for sure. Maybe, maybe oh, it's on. It okay, on it should it's be on, on YouTube. If it's not, page. we'll we, we'll put it up there. <laughs> okay, so I didn't realize it was on our Facebook page. Still, yes, yes. it's on our Facebook page. <laughs> Boy. So anyway, yeah. So yes, so definitely check out some live evil on our Facebook page, and <laughs> you can catch a new episode of the Leftscape every other Wednesday. So please do subscribe to our show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to get the automatic download so you don't miss us. It, it, it really helps out. You helps out us, too. Yeah. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And if you want to be just a little bit extra for us, leave us a review, please. Facebook, Google, your podcatcher of choice. Uh, and when you're on our website, which is lovely, by the way, please check out our show notes and sign up for our monthliest newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. Yes. And please do join us on Patreon for our extra content. Becoming a patron helps us make the show better and helps us pay for platforming and everything we need to do to, to put it together. And we really appreciate your support at any level. If you support us, at the front row seats level, at just a dollar a month, you can check out our patrons 
segment, our own patron-only segment called We Should Be Recording This. And if you join at $3 per month, that's the backstage pass uh, level, you can get a, a package of exclusive swag and early access to events when we start having events again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something to look forward to for, for us for sure as well. And um, our most recent We Should Be Recording This post is a, a conversation about how spirituality and culture from Asia have really influenced both of us in different ways and the practices in our lives that incorporate that. And uh, the one coming up is going to be, I believe the title is, What Did You Do During the Great Facebook Outage? <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's going to be an interesting techie conversation and, and what, you know, <laughs> what li lives we all live these days. <laughs> but anyway, to check us out uh, at Patreon, patreon.com slash leftscape. And now it's time for three random facts and the news. And our first random fact is, in the early days of the telephone, operators would pick up a call and use the phrase, well, are you there? It wasn't a... <laughs> I'm hoping they didn't say it that way, but you that's know, so that's classy. my reading. <laughs> it wasn't until 1895 that someone suggested answering the phone with the phrase, number please. <laughs> I think that was a good change somehow. <laughs> well, are you there? That's really funny. So fact number two. On October 17th, 1978, President Jimmy Carter officially restored the full citizenship rights of former Confederate President Jefferson Davis, uh, signing an act of Congress that ended a century-long dispute. So I didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> I was just... I, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. No, I. it was just... Um, I thought it was very odd. And it says, uh, let's see, a quote. And posthumously restoring the full rights of citizenship to Jefferson Davis, the Congress officially completes the long process of reconciliation that has reunited our people following the tragic conflict between the states, the resolution read. Which if only. It's not, yeah, like not really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not exactly. If that was the only thing that needed to finish the reconciliation, I uh, don't, then if that had happened, then why are we where we are now? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was just, this was just such a weird fact. I had no idea that that was a thing, and that that's they thought that was the reconciliation that was needed. Um, <laughs> you know, very weird. But it it reminded me of the the phrase that people say: the North won the war, but the South won the narrative, or something like that. Ah, did and they? It, it, well, I mean, it makes sense in the fact that the way it's talked about, as if everything is fine and there was you know <laughs> yeah. and the whole sort of yeah like all the, that other all that other shit afterwards didn't happen right yeah so yeah, like jim crow and the kkk and uh, exactly so yeah that's what i mean by this was sort of a weird papering over or or re uh oh. re re framing i can which I can only weird. <laughs> I can only think it's because Carter is a, is from Georgia, mm -hmm. you know, and for and we don't uh, we don't know necessarily if this was a carrot to certain senators or people to get something passed at some point. 
because that's kind of what it feels like. It this was a this was something that was done to to do to get some other to get agenda something through. else done. Or, yeah, yeah. I'd like to think that's what it is, and because <laughs> I I don't know, it probably appeased the the Jefferson Davis, you know the society or something that not the society or their their descendant his descendants yes. yeah i was thinking there's you know. probably some organization or whatever but yeah well yeah well i'm sure his descendants had started an organization <laughs> right <laughs> anyway this is a whole rabbit hole i could go into because i'm 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 curious about this kind of a proclamation and what what else what other types of things happened in that vein but i yeah. didn't want to go into it further because i have other <laughs> facts to we have learn yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so my third my the third fact of today is that the castro theater was built in 1922 by pioneer san francisco theater entrepreneurs the nasser brothers who started with a nickelodeon in 1908 in the castro neighborhood the castro is one of the few remaining movie palaces in the nation from the 1920s that is still in operation oh wow yeah, I, I think New Jersey has a bunch of old, I guess they were originally vaudeville theaters that are now movie theaters or other, I know, like the Red Bank Theater. Oh, the is, Count Basie? Yeah, the yeah. Count Basie in, in Red Bank and the Union County Performing Arts Center in Rahway, where I live, is are old vaudeville theaters that have, they do have movies sometimes, but they also do, you know, actual, you know, theatrical performances and, and they have a lot of, you know, touring artists, like a lot of, you know, medium venue size comedians and, and bands go through and they're still operating. And, and it's definitely got that vaudeville era vibe to them. Yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. So what's all the news we can handle today? Yeah, so <laughs> the first thing is something I just learned this morning, and I guess just happened this morning. Uh, yeah. We're recording on Monday. And that is that uh, Colin Powell has died of complications from COVID-19. Yeah, he was I, I read that too. Four, I think. And he yeah. had been fully vaccinated. So that is, that's a scary point that, um, you know, we still really do have to be careful. Um so, yeah, he was the first uh, Black national security advisor during the end of the Reagan presidency and the youngest and first African-American chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under George H.W. Bush. And and I, I definitely remember this, too. For a long time, in the, for a time in the mid-90s, he was considered a leading contender to become the first Black president. Mm. Um, but then his reputation really shifted when he was George W. Bush's secretary of state and he pushed the faulty intelligence uh, that led to, you know, the Iraq war stuff. So that really kind of marred his image, I guess you would say. Yeah. I'm but, honestly, yeah. I'm honestly glad that the first black president was a Democrat and not a Republican. Personally. I think it's a, turned out to be a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, he was Colin Powell. I thought he was like a, he doesn't seem like an he seemed like a reasonable person you know well that would preclude him from getting a <laughs> nomination for the republican party at this point at this point yes back then <laughs> it seemed they were they were people who were a little more they were in the realm of you know 
Yeah. Well, creating- you know, there's a difference between disagreeing and thinking that people are like insane. You know what I mean? We're in a very <laughs> yes. different kind of world, I think now. Yes, but we were heading toward that world ever since Reagan. I, I agree. So, you know, anybody, anybody after Reagan, <laughs> the Republican Party, I am looking at askance mm. from now on. So until yeah. they change their stripes. There you go. <sighs> <laughs> okay. All right. And, and another thing that I s- happened this past week really comes out of the time of the Mueller investigation, and it has to do with stuff that I was sort of following back at that time. But uh, Andrew McCabe finally got his pension, and his uh, he got unfired, basically. Yeah. So, I that was I'm so I was so happy to see that. I was really happy too. So the, the little bit of background is that uh, Andrew McCabe served as deputy director of the federal of the FBI. I was about to read federal. I didn't read. <laughs> yeah, it's just the FBI. Okay, <laughs> from 2016 to 2018, and Jeff Sessions, who was the attorney attorney general at the time, fired him in March of 2018, 26 hours before he was scheduled to retire. See, that is a dick move with a capital D. This is the thing that really, it really hurt me. Like, I felt that. It was just the the most purposefully vindictive thing that I heard. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Terrible. (laughs) Right. So, basically, he was, what Sessions announced, and I'm sure Trump, you know, had I don't his know if hand he pushed up his ass. Like, yeah, he had something to do. He was had a lot yeah. to do with it, I'm sure. <laughs> so he announced that he had based a decision on reports that, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. It was something about that McCabe needed to be disciplined because he had released information to the Wall Street Journal about the Clinton Foundation and lied to the FBI about them and that that was in, improper. So... That that he was he said something that like caused problems for the Clintons and that was <laughs> why Trump and his administration would be upset about it. It, it, it makes no sense. Um, but what really it seemed to be was that um, he actually he gave some testimony about possible obstruction of justice under President Trump and authorized like the investigation and you know looked into possible Russian interference and that sort of thing. So he was not in good graces, you know. But at any rate, in the 20, and on this month, actually, it was settled and the Justice, the Justice Department said it was a wrongful termination and he good. got his pension, his other benefits, his cufflinks. They were talking about. <laughs> they took his cufflinks? What like, I fuck? guess they didn't, they didn't, he didn't get his retirement cufflinks oh, or something. Oh, 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 oh. I don't know. And, um, you know, he and his legal it's like, you know, yeah, your gun, your badge, your cufflinks. Oh, maybe. Like, yeah, maybe. That's <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> but his legal fees were paid and any record of having been fired was expunged. So. Oh, that is good. That that's made me good. feel good. Yes. Now, if only they can unwind the post office as easily as this. Oh, my gosh. That's true. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the I, joy like, needs to go. <laughs> I, I'm just, I am, I am suffering under the, the uh, raised rates and slowed down delivery times. I and every other person who has a home-based business. It's yeah. like, yeah, it, it's like they're trying to kill us all, you know, make us go back to, to the shitty minimum wage jobs that we escaped by making resin ashtrays to sell on Etsy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I'm not making resin ashtrays to sell on Etsy, but a lot of people are. Right. <laughs> resin is is that is the popular medium of choice for tchotchkes right now. Uh, so. Okay, I didn't know that. I'll just yeah. It's like everybody it. I know is making resin stuff, so it's very weird. <laughs> it's um, a trend. Yeah. So I think you are a foreign correspondent now. So what? Oh yes, you have yes, to I am say. a foreign correspondent because I look at the Guardian on Monday morning, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but what's going on in Europe right now? There's been this three and a half meter, which I guess is a little over ten feet, maybe eleven feet tall puppet that has been who's called Little Amal is is a, a puppet that looks like a refugee child, but she's very tall. And she's been walking from Syria to Manchester, UK over uh, uh, quite a while. I think this has been over a year. Hmm. And and she's, I believe, getting into Calais, France. So she's not quite in England yet, but she's on her way to England. So that's one of the reasons why The Guardian is talking about this right now. She's been doing this. This whole thing has been to highlight child the child refugee experience. An unaccompanied child refugee searching for her mother. The character of Amal, which means hope in Arabic, uh, was developed from a play created by the refugee theater company Good Chance. It was launched in the Calais encampment at the height of the migrant movement of 2016. Former refugees from Calais are among those working as puppeteers for the production, manipulating her arms and greetings as she walks through European cities. The aim of this is to present an artistic movement that creates compassion rather than to score political points, uh, the artistic director Amir Nizah Zouabi says. Producers have not attempted to portray the bleaker end of the child migrant experience like trips beneath the undercarriages of lorries, dangerous boat trips, hostility from border guards, etc. The puppet actually has been has been greeted with varying levels of with widely varying levels of, of a response. Like, for example, the Pope, it had a, a papal welcome had an in audience Rome. with the Pope? Right? <laughs> and I don't know if it was an audience with the Pope, but the Pope welcomed the okay. puppet. Okay. And in Greece, the, the puppet was stoned. Was, people were throwing stones at it in oh. Greece. And, 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 and a lot of cities, they, get, it's, they protest the puppet, like as if it's like, you know, like, like they've been protesting refugees. Right, so, right. So how does I it move? Uh, it looks like people manipulate. Pe people are manipulating her with sticks. Okay. Okay. And like it, an actual. Yeah. Puppet. And there may yeah. be somebody inside it. I'm looking at a picture of it. Uh, we'll post a link to this article so you can see for yourself. Yeah. And I, and it, and I'm getting the sense reading the article that there will be a documentary about this at some point. I would like to, I would hope because otherwise, you know, you're not going to, it's a very ephemer ephemeral thing, and uh, people on this side of the Atlantic aren't going to know anything about it. Right, so, right. So that's that. It, it, I thought it was kind of interesting. So that, that is pretty cool. Very nice. The Build Back Better bill in, in Congress right now is... Well, you know, it's 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 got a it's still happening basically. It's this is the infrastructure on. bill, or is this the a different one? This is this, this it, is the infrastructure, right? No, see, this no. is part of the problem. Like a lot of people don't know all what's in it. It's it's the it's called a reconciliation bill. Oh, build okay. Back, better yeah, yeah, budget, 
reconciliation bill. <laughs> and part of the problem, I think a lot of people feel like people don't really know what's in it. And this article actually talks about what's in it. But basically what's happening right now is that the Democrats are trying to agree on this bill that, that Biden has put forth. Right, because and, man, is it is this the one that Mansion and that that woman are Mansion and out? Cinema are still Cinema, the, yeah, like the the weird holdouts of this, and and so, um, but one of the problems is everyone is just talking about like how much it costs, and not that many people are really talking about what is in it, and that's a big problem because it's like three hundred and three point five trillion dollars, which but it's over ten years. It's over something. ten years, and. You know, it's got a lot of good stuff in it that it's people want. It's got a lot of great want. stuff in it. Great like stuff. Dental for Medicare, I think, is one. Yes, exactly. So universal preschool, yeah, free community college, expanded Medicare services and Medicaid. So yes, that's the part where things would um, vision, hearing, and dental would be included. Which is, oh, vision too. That's yes. that's great. Because like your eyes and your teeth, I know. Part of your health, right? so, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird that it's always separated in the U.S. Lower prescription drug costs. Basically, it's a bill that would, oh, here's tax cuts for families with children and child care support. And tax increase for rich people too, right? That's in there, right? Right. So that's how it's, it really doesn't that's take away from anybody for. except like the super rich, basically. Yeah, you know. people who are not us. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like there's like 400 people it affects. Or, so, or was it you have to be making, a couple has to be making more than like $400,000 a year, something like that. Something. I, I, kinda, it's, it's I, pretty... I, I don't remember the number, but it was like way higher than a lot, than anybody I know. So. Right, right. <laughs> so basically, normally they need, they need to pass that 60, 60 person filibuster proof right thing in order to pass it but because this is reconciliation it can pass with 50 and right. it really it just means needs that, a majority right it needs the majority and it really needs you know uh mansion and cinema to get on board so there's been a lot of discussion about that but what i've been hearing recently is that like eventually we're gonna get something out of this like they're not gonna now they're mm-hmm. arguing over the the total the total number. I right. Think. I remember listening to Pod Save America. They were talking about this. Exactly. And and they were talking about the one thing I th- I liked about it is is you know they could fund everything for a short period of time and then they would have to be renewed and it would have to be renewed when people have experienced like oh we really like this. Mm-hmm. So then they will put pressure on their Congress critters to renew it, right. you know, as opposed to just cutting out whole sections of it. And right, like, right, right, right. They'll never yeah, get to just, have the child care and then they won't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I'm hoping they can do the fund everything, but maybe for a shorter period of time and make it renewable. Or, or at least those two people could just shut up and say fine and just vote for it. But and I know, and I know they re- they wanted it to be a reconciliation bill because they don't need the sixty votes to to pass it. And I think that's where McConnell was playing his bullshit with the debt ceiling, right? Because if they use the reconciliation, because I think Congress gets one per the Democrats, you get one per session or something like that. There's a limited number of these, and if they used it. To, to get the debt ceiling fixed, 
then they couldn't use it on this. Uh, okay, I didn't realize that's that. yeah, that's that's the bullshit games that were going on, I guess, last week, right in Congress. And then they finally and then the, the Republicans blinked and they kicked the can down the road till my birthday on December 3rd. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it> was, <laughs> Hopefully you'll get a good birthday present. In yeah, that, that's what I want for my birthday. I want them to pass the goddamn the race the debt ceiling. That's my birthday present. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, it looks like something very like something very positive will come out of this it's like a lo whole lot of wrangling i guess joe manchin wants he he's given the number that he wants it decreased to kristen uh, kirsten cinema doesn't see, really say what she wants she's just being very odd <laughs> um but I, I i'm feeling i guess again cautiously optimistic as i am that yeah. something will come out of this by halloween so yeah that's their the deadline that the Democrats have set, I believe. Yeah. October 31st. So. And my last news item is about the, you know, fallout from the Pandora papers. It's actually, there's some things that are starting to happen. The Denver art museum announced today that they are returning four artifacts to Cambodia wow. after the Pandora papers coverage in, of an indicted art dealer. Uh, the art dealer is his, this guy, Douglas Latchford, who in 2019 was indicted by U.S. prosecutors after decades of alleged trafficking and looted artifacts from the Khmer Empire, which flourished in Southeast Asia a thousand years ago. The media, rep the collaboration reported that 10 museums around the world are holding at least 43 relics that pass through the hands of Latchford or those of his associates that are identified by the prosecutors and the Denver museum is, is, is repatriating these artifacts to the, to the Cambodians. The other museums I think are being a little more reticent about it because they're very, apparently they're very important artifacts and they don't want to give them up. And I, I'm kind of like, guys, why don't you just create copies of them and give them back the originals because it's not your shit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? That's like one of the things, like when you go to the British Museum and you just see all of these things from all over the world that were taken by the Brits when they went through. And, and honestly, at some point, I think that, I think that the people who these originally belong to should, they should get it back. Yeah. I'm glad to see that, that trend starting too. Yeah. And uh, well, I think that's you. all. I think that's all the news we're going to handle today. This podcast is sponsored by Conspiracy of the Month. Have you grown bored or complacent with the quality of conspiracy theories being shared on social media? Have you thought about floating some theories of your own but don't know where to start? Well, we have the monthly subscription box for you. Conspiracy of the Month will send you a curated box chock full of deepfake video clips, pre-written tweets, and hashtags that would make any Russian troll farm green with envy. Share with your friends, enemies, frenemies, and soon-to-be estranged family members. Sign up for your monthly subscription box by leaving a bag of cash in Locker 2016 at the Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. And now, back to our podcast. What the hell do you think you're doing? Dragging your butt through the day, selling body and soul to a bunch of bland normals? Acting stupid so they'll think you're one of them? 
tired of getting all of the guilt, but none of the sex? There is a simple answer, dear friend. A glowing beacon of slack amidst the turmoil and darkness. It's J.R. Bob Dobbs, the living slack master in his church of the subgenius. Bob brings a new destiny for the abnormal. For Bob comes to justify our sins, to unmask the conspiracy, and to get us back the slack they stole away. It's us versus them. Are you gonna fry in hell on earth alongside the pink boys? Or will you pull the wool over your own eyes and accept Bob into your mind? Repent, quit your job, slack off, and praise Bob! Church of the Subgenius Eternal Salvation or Triple Your Money Back. Welcome to the Geekscape. This is the segment where we talk about something that one or both of us really gets into, uh, you know, the minutiae and weird little details of something. And in this case, we're going to talk about the Church of the Subgenius. You've probably heard us mention it before now and again. And, uh, you know, we, we want to play you a few things and give people a little better sense of it. And you still would need to really read and get into it a little deeper to really understand what the hell we're talking about. But anyway, this is a weird little overview. You just heard the Subgenius commercial, which is starring the good Reverend Ivan Stang, starring and directed by Ivan Stang and produced for MTV in 1991. So uh, let's get into it. Well, praise Bob. Praise Bob. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been into subgenius for a lot of years and finally got to meet other weirdos like myself, more more weirdos like myself like in the early 2000s, I would say, at yeah. uh at devotional. But how did, how, how did you find I yeah, the church of the subgenius, which is what we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> um which is the commercial you just heard. Oh, and do we play the commercial already. first? Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought, okay. <laughs> I'm confused. That's um, okay. No, I, my high school boyfriend um, at one point sent me in the mail, and this has to be, oh my God, in the 1980s or, yeah, it had to be in the early 80s, um, a book called High Weirdness by Mail and also this large format paperback book, uh, like a trade paperback of, uh, of the church of the subgenius. It was like the book yes. and, um, they talk about high weirdness by mail was includes the subgenius and a lot of other stuff that, that in the days before the internet, you would do mail in stuff, you know, you'd mail away for you know, x-rays specs and you think the back zines of the comic and stuff and, yeah. and and zines and you know sea monkeys and <laughs> oh god <laughs> you know all this kind of crazy shit you could get in the mail and high weirdness by mail was like a, a compilation of that and it had a bunch of things about the church of the subgenius and you know you mailed in i think it was fifteen dollars or maybe five dollars it was something around what feels like fifteen dollars nowadays so it was probably five bucks back then um, you mail that to the sacred PO box in Texas, and then you'd get a newsletter every month or so and of just insanity. And, uh, you know, so I did that and I got my little, um, card saying that I was a reverend. Uh, I don't think I picked 
like a weird name or anything at that point because I wasn't doing weird names because I was kind of a dork. I don't know. <laughs> um, Wait, you were too dorky to call yourself something bizarre? <laughs> I guess. I, I wasn't doing the weird name thing till way later. So, uh, um, but Paganism you know, does that. Yeah, paganism. Everyone gets a weird that. name. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Nature name. But, you know, I didn't go do anything except that at a world con in, it has, to, I think it was Constellation, which was in Baltimore in, in the 80s sometime, or maybe the very early 90s. I, we had, somebody sharing our hotel room with us to, you know, cut our expenses down. And he apparently was very much into the subgenius stuff because he had a bunch of eight and a half by 11 pictures of Bob Dobbs, um, which is, if you're not going to our website to see the visuals, it's like this 1950s generic white guy with a pipe smiling. Uh, it's his head and that's his, uh, and that's Bob. And, and he brings slack to everybody. Yep. <laughs> and uh, he put up a bunch of pictures in our room of him. And later on during the convent, the time of the convention, we heard that he got arrested for being naked in, in the subway or something like that. Oh, my kind of it, guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was that convention where they had a devival meeting at the convention. And I went to that. And I don't think it was necessarily Reverend Stang, but it was another one of the deacons and his band playing a lot of really weird ass music and talking loud. <laughs> it was just a strange, strange time. I did have fun there, but you have done way more than that. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, I don't know. I sort of hang out in the, in, in the slack with people yes <laughs> there's a small uh i call it the piney clench a few of us in south jersey who are uh sub -G's, you know so it's kind of cool just just watch some bob movies or hang out or whatever whenever we get together but i huh, i went to a devival in the 80s also in new york and i don't know how exactly i got into it first it was just sort of a thing that got talked about in like the Livingston Medium, which was like the weird, the weird college newspaper <laughs> that was part of Livingston College, part of Rutgers. And I just knew people in my classes and stuff that were into it. And I sort of by osmosis uh, got interested. So we went to this devival where we each got a cup of Kool-Aid as we went in. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, um, you know, it wound up, I wound up uh, short, dur short duration marriage. <laughs> to a pregnant woman that I didn't know. <laughs> and um, that was an interesting, that was an interesting uh, experience. And uh, I don't think she was too happy about it. I don't, she, she was left at the altar. <laughs> oh no. Um, and, and they asked, you know, can someone make an honest woman of this, this woman, this poor woman. And I was like, yes, I absolutely. <laughs> so I volunteered. <laughs> And um, that was that was fun, yeah. Um, so I guess fast forward a long time, and I started going to uh, in 2005. I went to the first um, devotional that I went to, and this was in Akron, 
which is a Devo fan gathering, which people, if you listen to the show, you know, I talk about Devo incessantly. So <laughs> I believe they started in 2000 and, and I found out about it in 2005. And I was like, how did I not know about this? Oh my God. <laughs> so um, I met Stang and I was very uh, shy. I was, I was completely <laughs> starstruck to tell you the truth. <laughs> and uh, it was cool. So yeah, it's cool to get to know those folks. So this is uh this is basically a fake religion. It started out as a fake religion. And at least that's how I how I always thought of it. Yeah, I would say it's it's uh it's about as true as a lot of other religions. I know, I know. That I mean that's the other thing. It was it was the you know, Stang and the other couple of guys that started this. We're doing Reverend it. Reverend Stang is the sacred <clears throat> scribe. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was more like they were they were parodying it and using it to and using religion as a way. You know, they they were. I think I don't know if they were trying to do it to make money or not, and it just turned into this like weird, just fandom cult following y thing, and. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, parody, absolutely. You know, and I also think, well, it took a life, it took on a life of its own. It has a life of its own. And it, and it also has, there are kernels of truth in the insanity of it all. Well, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. And, and has definitely uh, helped my brain, <laughs> helped shrink my brain now and again. <laughs> And I know my high school boyfriend went to the first X day. This was, I mean, like I said, this was a, it was a put up as a parody religion and X day was supposed to be the day that the aliens came to take people or it was the end of the world. I forget yeah, now what was supposed yeah, to happen. So X day, so the X's are going to come and take the sub geniuses, the people who are saved, you know, ah, so if you okay, paid Bob okay. your money. <laughs> you're safe. So if you if you haven't done it yet, definitely get on that. We will have the link. You can pay Bob. Your, I think it's thirty five now for something. It, it's okay. inflation, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, and then you know you will be saved. And so when the exes come, you can get your own pleasure saucer. Like the rest of the the pink boys are going to be destroyed, you know. But you can get taken up into the pleasure saucer of your choosing and <laughs> fantasy. But X Day and, happened. Oh, X Day was like in 1987, right? It was July 5th, 1998. But obviously, oh, okay, okay. they must have miscalculated, you know? So we do the drill every J July 5th. Okay. And wait for the saucers. And well, I, okay. Damn it, they haven't come yet. But I think it's just <laughs> maybe 1998. It was, it, it maybe the math was off, you know, it might be okay. next year. It might, could be any time. We okay. don't know, but be, be ready. Well, when Jim went there in 1998 and apparently he said when he got, it's like that, that morning he got out of his tent, I guess it was a camping event. Um, he got out of his tent and there were two contrails over the campsite making a big X, which he thought was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, but then I think they burned Ivan Stang in effigy as part of the festivities that year because they were very angry that they didn't get taken up. Uh, 
I have never burned Stang in effigy. <laughs> I don't think I would do that, but no, but uh, I think that's Bob in effigy. Absolutely, they burned uh, somebody have. in effigy. They burned somebody <laughs> in effigy because they were angry that that it didn't happen yet. So yes. <laughs> we have burned many above. <laughs> All right, what's the the next clip that we're going to hear? This is from the Ask Doctor Hal show, and Doctor Hal knows all (laughs) (laughs) and if you um go to one of his shows or listen in you know people put forth questions and he will pontificate and uh give responses that are of value perhaps perhaps not (laughs) curious responses and learned responses to anything you may ask all right let's listen We, we have a couple more questions. Uh, we have one here. This is a $3 question from Rabbi Space Laser. And does Yeti blood flow through any animals beside humans? And do we know about the humans? Well, as a subgenius, I must tow the official line, which is that true subgeniuses uh, do keep the Yeti genetic mixture as part of their uh, DNA structure. Uh, what, to refer to blood makes one slightly uncomfortable since this was used by the Nazis and other racists and is not considered scientific anymore as the entire science of eugenics has been discarded for human purposes. But uh, the Yeti is uh, uh, not capable of uh, mating with an ordinary human. One must have uh, Yeti uh, sympathies, as it were, in a biological sense, in order for this admixture to generate a viable offspring. And yet, through a lengthy process of trial and error, according to the special and secret doctrines of the Church of the Subgenius, this actually did happen. The Yeti, perhaps in the most ancient times, are uh, convergent with or congruent with the Nephilim, that strange race which uh, had progeny by the daughters of men mentioned in the book of Genesis. They were larger and apparently more charismatic than the people who were around, and so this process was greatly resented. But it is difficult to pick out the truth from a tapestry of mythology and legend. Let us say that this is not something which I normally have to do, because as a subgenius, it is easy to point to the doctrine, which, if not strictly scientifically verifiable, still has much to tell us about our putative ancestry. Well, that was... I have no words for what that was. You didn't know you were part Yeti? No, I did not know I was part Yeti. Oh, darling. I could could (laughs) assume. Well, I'm using a Yeti microphone. Maybe that. (laughs) 
There you go. I like that. I like that brand for exactly that reason. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering now if they named the brand this because of the Church of the Subgenius. Could be. Yeah. You never know. People in all, I mean, you know, audios, nerds, it's all kind of one thing. So, oh, geeks. yeah, that's <laughs> often true. that's true, yeah, definitely that's true. Yeah, I have, uh, I, now I need to go find that book that I can't find and read it again because I think there's something we- weird going on. I don't know who's been, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Yetis wouldn't steal our books necessarily, but I can I need to find my book of the subgenius too. So, yeah, and I think we both looked today and couldn't find them so i find that mystery mystery is i conspiracy theory worthy yes (laughs) exactly i I find that i find that highly suspect that (laughs) that both of our books went missing today (laughs) (laughs) oh man so i one of the things that i have really loved with subgenius is playing in the mutant mountain boys (laughs) and uh so my friend Samantha, otherwise known as Reverend Pastor Prime, <laughs> is really, really deeply into bluegrass music and also, you know, Subgenius and Devo um, and kind of put them all together and created this sound where I, one of the, I think, I, I feel like I might have heard her play the first time I was at um, X-Day, I'm not X-Day, um, although we have performed at X-Day, which was great. But um, <laughs> at devotional, maybe it was the second year. I don't know. And it, it was like mesmerizing. She played um, Jaco Homo on the banjo. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> this is so great. And so, you know, we wound up, she wound up forming a band and I played in it a, a bunch of times. And we do, you know, subgenius music and Devo music all in the bluegrass form and it's um <laughs> i'm really glad to add to the to the cacophony of sounds of uh, that you know that comprise subgenius music because there's a lot of really kind of uh outsider music kind of like okay. negative land and devo weirdness and and other stuff the amino acids people who play <laughs> subgenius either either embraced by subgenius or or purposeful subgenius music um well, they have like a a radio show or a podcast now i don't know what it, it the hour of slack yes you can you can hear the hour of slack yeah. um lots of places online and stuff yeah. it's it's always good i want to actually if we can get some um maybe to end this segment some audio from one of those or something like that we'll see I'm not okay. sure yet how this will end. We'll see. But, um, but I do want to play. It might never end. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we are going to listen to uh, some Mutant Mountain Boys next. So check this out. Okay. Radiation slack out, fall everywhere. Radiation slack out, last for a year. Radiation 
already here in this beautiful music world. That was cool. <laughs> nice. The lyrics were very funny. Yeah. Samantha's Samantha's a weird genius. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Prime. Now <laughs> that's like these are like drag names. These are great. <laughs> yeah. I mean my name Andrew Genus is um <laughs> I love that. Thank you. It, yeah, I, I started out I wanted to at first it was Reverend Mount. Reverend Robin Mountain Boy, just because of the Mutant Mountain Boys. And I feel like, I don't know. That I didn't want to depend on the, that band as much as I love that band. It's, I'm, <laughs> I found it more uh, important to express something specific about myself or whatever in my name. So okay. Andrew Genus is more accurate. <laughs> well, it's more descriptive, I would okay. say. 
And I like to be called Andrew, so that works. <laughs> you know. But anyway, yeah, so definitely uh get get find Bob. Praise Bob. <laughs> Don't be a pink boy. <laughs> I like everything about this stuff. It's I like I mean, some of it is, you know, I mean, it's there to make you feel superior to the un initiated so <laughs> but i i like calling the uh the mundanes pink boys <laughs> i find that amusing so yeah it's uh you know if you're gonna join a cult this is the cult to join yes honestly. this is <laughs> there are some that's really, all i can say <laughs> there's some really fucking bad cults right now <laughs> so don't join those <laughs> and uh you know it takes a it takes a sense of humor and a love of the weird yeah and sometimes a thick skin because <laughs> there's there's i think maybe that's what I, one of the things i like about subgenius that it can be pretty caustic yeah in its approach and humor and um it's a it's a break from the the uh, overly cautious speech we yeah. need to have sometimes it's like it's almost like yeah i need sometimes i need a break from that and uh sometimes truth comes out in ways that are uh direct and sometimes as uh metaphor and sometimes as insane stories about aliens and destroying the <laughs> pink boys and you know finding your slack so there you go <laughs> So that was the Mutant Mountain Boys with Radiation Slackout. I love being part of that. And um, Bob, that was on Bob Songs 8, Orally Transmitted Diseases. And if you go searching for it, it might say Radiate Some Slack, but the real name is Radiation Slackout. So anyway, <laughs> and that uh, came out on Bob Songs 8 on uh, in September of 2015. And we also heard an excerpt from the Ask Dr. Hal show, and you can listen to that at gonzotronics.net slash ADH, and we'll give you that link as well. And at the beginning of the show, we heard uh, Reverend Ivan Stang, the commercial for the subgenius, for the Church of the Subgenius that was done in 1991 for MTV. All right, so I'm not sure what exactly we're going to go out on here, but let's uh, let's listen to some of Hour of Slack, number 1849. Remember, you're only one stop from London, Paris, or Tehran on Iran Air. Oh, uh, yes, my number is 239, mm -hmm. and I'm calling from Dallas, and uh, the person I'm looking for is should be very interesting and, you know, not plastic or anything like that, and uh, someone who enjoys going out and having a good time and uh, a good conversation with, and uh, I guess that's about it. Okay, your code number one more time? 239. Thanks for calling. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, so long. Hey everybody, I'm Reverend Yolanda, your favorite trans, femme, gender, queer, singer, songwriter, and interfaith minister. And you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. 
So I'm very happy to have Christiana Gadet here on the Leftscape. Uh, Christiana began reading tarot professionally in Putnam, Connecticut in 1994. She now offers private readings from her office in Palm City, Florida, and serves a worldwide clientele remotely. She is the author of Fortune Stellar, What Every Professional Tarot Reader Needs to Know, and Tarot Tour Guide, Tarot, The Four Elements, and Your Spiritual Journey. Uh, Christiana was our featured guest way back on episode 31, when she talked about the difference between thinking magically and magical thinking. So welcome back, Christiana. This is really great to have you here. Wow. Well, it is so great to be back. I'm, I'm really honored to, uh, to be here again. And I remembered being here, but I didn't remember what we had spoken about. And man, that's such a good topic. I still think about that. Yeah, we might, we might have a throwback question on that too today. <laughs> sure, sure. So anyway, yeah, um, it's great to have you here. And this came to be when I was telling you about the topic we're exploring this season, which is acceptance. And you had a very clear-cut idea about a tarot-related contribution to that ongoing discussion. So, um, but first, before we get to that, I'm if you could give for the unfamiliar just a, a little quick elevator speech on what the tarot is. Oh, fabulous. Okay, yes, I will. So tarot began in Italy about 500 years ago as a game, a game very much like bridge. Over time and through a lot of magical and mundane gyrations, tarot became a book of spiritual wisdom that we use for divination, that we use for connection to spirit, that we use in manifestation, and that we use to understand our world. Okay. That's oh, and there's more. <laughs> sure there's more. <laughs> oh, and there's more. Uh, tarot is a specific structure of cards, 78 cards divided into two sections, major arcana and minor arcana. The word arcana means secrets. So greater secrets and lesser secrets. And what we'll be talking about today comes from that major arcana, the greater secrets. Okay. Yeah. So you said that there are four cards that relate to acceptance. So what, what are those? Yeah. So, and, and this is, you know, in, in the work that I've done with tarot over these many, many, almost 30 years, I've really developed a relationship with the cards as we do. And I've started to think about how different cards speak in different ways. And so, yes, I have what I call the four cards of acceptance. They are major arcana 10 through 13. 10 is the wheel of fortune. 11 is justice. 12 is the hanged man. And 13 is death. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't, I, you know, I, I know the tarot, but I don't, I haven't delved into it in a way to like get that kind of information. So that's interesting. Tell me more. Oh, gladly. Yeah. <laughs> gladly. So starting with the, the wheel of fortune, we understand that when we learn tarot for divination, we learn keywords, we learn classic interpretations and what the card might mean when it comes up in a reading. So like starting with the Wheel of Fortune, the Wheel of Fortune might mean, you know, luck or fate or gambling or working at a casino or, you know, uh, patterns and cycles in our lives. 
but there are deeper spiritual lessons in each of these cards. And the deeper spiritual lesson for the Wheel of Fortune is really about the things that we cannot control. That, you know, and you know, you, you can talk to like the law of attraction people. And, and I, I get the law of attraction, I understand it, and I think it is built on solid spiritual tradition uh, going all the way back to hermetic tradition. But the idea that I can control every single thing in life, yeah, no, I can't, <laughs> right? And I've had arguments with people when teaching the Wheel of Fortune in a tarot class. And I say, well, the Wheel of Fortune is about things you can't control. If there is a serious law of attraction person in my class, you know, I can think of one particular time when it, it turned into kind of a heated discussion. Mm, because she that's really, forbidden to even think such a right, thing. Right, that there are things we cannot control. But I'm sorry, man. I mean, I do a little weather magic, but I do not claim to be able to control the weather in a foolproof way. Right. I do not control the forces of nature. I do not control you know, things on that large level, I do not have the ability to control. And I think there's a certain amount of hubris that people have when they think that they are in control of everything. And I just sort of sit there and I, I don't wish, you know, horrible things on anybody. But it is interesting when a person who is very hardcore law of attraction faces a terrible personal crisis. Mm. You know, because, okay, so now I have this health diagnosis or, you know, whatever. And now they're feeling like, okay, how did I do this to myself? Right. And, you know, that's a, you know, a lot like blaming the victim for the crime. So the Wheel of Fortune talks about the things that cannot, that we cannot control, that there are patterns and cycles and seasons and just a certain amount of stupid luck that is around us at all times and we must accept okay this is the first card of acceptance we must accept that sometimes the wheel turns and it's going to roll right over you and sometimes the wheel turns and it's going to put you on the top of the world and you better enjoy it because the wheel will turn again and and you won't be on the top anymore mm -hmm. Shall I continue with the next card? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, so it's I'm sitting here waiting with uh, curiosity. Okay, so card 11 is justice. And the thing about justice is there really is, you know, like none. There is no justice in the world, really. We cannot expect justice. We can hope for it, you know, but nothing in life is fair. And I can say a lot of our listeners will be very upset to hear this idea <laughs> go on well no i mean we have to work but i get for it justice, yeah. right i mean we yeah. must work for social justice yeah. and this card actually encourages that and it's an interesting thing because i i think we are once again i'm old enough to say once again talking about social justice more you know, we should have been talking about it all along. We just thought we had won some things that we hadn't, right. uh, or we had, but, you know, people are fighting back. You know, there's that. There is. Hey. And, 
And the card, the justice card will come up in readings for people who are sort of just saying, okay, it is time for me to write letters. It's time for me to join an organization. It's time for me to march. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a gratifying thing during these difficult times where I'll be reading for a high school kid or a college kid saying, you know, what can I do? How can I work toward justice? And that's a beautiful thing. And 10 years ago, no high school or college kid ever asked me that now because they didn't feel like they had a need. But, you know, there, there we are. So can we ever expect justice in every situation, in every way? Of course not. You know, in our personal interactions, people will treat us unfairly. We will treat others unfairly. Um, so when we talk about social justice, yes, there's an ideal that we're working toward and we need to work toward that and that is possible. But that does not mean that there will always be fairness on the planet. There just won't be. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about acceptance, that's such an interesting thing from a perspective of social justice because there's a lot that we're not willing to accept, nor should we. Exactly, right. But... You know, the lesson of justice is we have to recognize that in every, any given moment, there will be some things that just aren't fair. And we have to work toward justice and we have to work toward fairness, fairness to ourselves, the way we treat others fairly. And, you know, that's such a thing, too where I'll, I'll be talking to people in readings and they will felt, feel like they were, so, someone did something bad to them or they feel hurt or slighted by someone on a personal level. And, and there's this sense of like, well, why should I be nice to others when others are not nice to me? Why should I be fair to others when others are not fair to me? Mm -hmm. And this card sort of teaches us that, you know, what's that expression? An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Right. That when people treat us badly, it is not a justification or a reason or an excuse or instruction to treat others badly. And so in the justice card, there is this whole thinking around how do we accept that this is where, okay, so from social justice perspective, how do we accept that this is where we're at and then accept the mantle of responsibility to move forward and to work and to still try to have a good life in the meantime? And how do we accept that not everything is going to be fair and people are going to treat us unfairly and, and there it is. And yet we still have to, every single day, try to treat others fairly. And that is a tough lesson. Yeah. Especially getting to, this is where we are now. <laughs> that has been the hardest thing. You know. It's really been the hardest thing right lately. It, the, the thing, the only comfort that I, I can find in it well, no, there's two. I, I have two comforting things to say. Well, small, but, but there. One is that the veneer has been pulled off. You know, we thought we were further along than we were. True. And the pulling back on the veneer is good 
Because for us to see, you know, what's there, you can't fight it if you can't see it. Mm -hmm. So that's good. And what is there is there primarily because we were winning. Hmm. You know, it goes all the way back to the Civil War. You know, the people who are still pissed off that we won the Civil War. Yeah. And I I remember growing up and my parents, excuse me, my parents would joke about those people who were still fighting the Civil War. And it was a joke. But apparently it wasn't funny. It's not too funny. Yeah, no, (laughs) not at all. Not at all. So, you know, there's that on a, on a social justice perspective, but just on a personal level in our jobs, with our friends, with our partners, and just with life itself. You know, why does one person have some tragedy befall them and another person does not? You know, that, that image of like God at his computer with the smite button, you know, who's, who's gonna, who's he gonna hit the button on today? And, and spiritual people try to make that have meaning, you know, that if something bad happens to someone, it's because it's retribution, it's karma, it's something they did. And that's a bunch of crap. Random bad stuff happens to anybody at any time for no particular reason. And the New Agers will say, well, everything happens for a reason. And that's like the meanest thing you can say to someone who's dealing with trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the, the born again Christians will say, well, if that bad thing happened to you, it's because God's angry with you, which is equally ridiculous. So acceptance here is really just about accepting that weird stuff can happen at any time and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Especially, I think, people in spiritual communities, it's important to hold that in mind. Very much so. Because that what you're describing is a, a real malady of, or, or a casualty of that kind of spiritual thinking that you can wind up in places that are really damaging, I think. Absolutely. And it's a hard thing because we've all had those wonderful experiences of synchronicity where you're like, well, why did I wind up here? But then because you're here, this wonderful thing happens that takes you to where you want to go. And you say, oh, everything happens for a reason. And and there's moments where these odd things happen and that you feel like they happen for a reason because it all fits together and it leads you where you need it to go. And that's a beautiful thing. And I'm not discounting that that happens, but that's not everything. It's some things happen mm-hmm. for a reason. And if we cannot have nuanced thinking around our spiritual thought, we hurt ourselves and we hurt a lot of people. And, and all of this is what is inherent in our study of Major Arcana 11, Justice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, so what about number 12? Ah, number 12. So number 12 is the hanged man. And in some decks it's called the hanging man or the hanged one. Um, It is an image typically of a person hung upside down by one foot. And it's obviously an uncomfortable position that they are in, but they are completely at peace with it. And in older decks, we actually see they have a halo. They're they're found enlightenment. Mm -hmm. 
in this uncomfortable position. And there's a lot of ways to come at this card and to think about this card. Uh, I, I think about a couple of things. One is uh, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Did you have to read that in college? I don't remember it. Well, I might you, have blanked it out if, I <laughs> if you haven't read it. It's worth reading. It's a, it's small. You can read it in an afternoon. Okay. Victor Frankl was a uh, psychotherapist, and he ended up in a concentration camp during the Holocaust and survived, and went on to write this book called *Man's Search for Meaning*, where he talked about sort of the psychological effects and aspects of what it was to be in a concentration camp and what he saw people experiencing. Mm. And what he learned was the people who tended to have the, of the survivors, the people who tended to have the best outcome after were the people who found meaning in their suffering. That if you can find meaning in your suffering, you can survive that suffering. And we all suffer. Now, hopefully we are not suffering as one suffered in a concentration camp. I mean, that's a pretty high level suffer, suffering, right? Hmm. But the idea of finding meaning in your suffering is, is kind of the takeaway there. And so with the hanged man, he is suffering and he has found enlightenment. And so when something is wrong, when there is a discomfort, big, small, physical, mental, emotional, financial, whatever, and there's nothing you can do about it in the moment, how can you find meaning in that? Now, the other piece of this, and again, this goes back to what we were talking about with the Wheel of Fortune, is being not in control that there are times we are just stuck and we are stuck in this situation for some period of time and that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, we've been in places, you know, been on a plane that's stuck on the tarmac for a few hours or been in a car that's broken down on the side of the highway while we wait for AAA or, you know, whatever it is and you're just in that place of, okay, here we are. How am I going to spend this time? How am I going to process this? Am I going to just every second be or can I come to some place of peace with this situation? Now, the other thing that comes up for me around this card is I, I associate it a lot with uh, 12-step programs. It is card 12, you know, which is a nice piece of serendipity there. But I think about the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that is, you know, so much about acceptance and, of course, is used around recovery from addiction. But, I mean, which one of us does not need that prayer? right? We, we all need to be able to know, you know, what must I accept? Mm -hmm. What can I change? And, and how do I know the difference? And, and all of that is within this card. And we think about this hanged man hung upside down in this uncomfortable position. And we recognize two things. 
One is that if you can't change your circumstance, you have to change your attitude. You are not in control of your circumstance, but you can control what you're thinking about. You can control how you're processing it. And the other is that, you know, very literally, um, he is seeing everything upside down. He's upside down. And when you see things from a different perspective, they look different. And so sometimes you have to look at things differently. And so from that perspective of acceptance, there is, you know, what I must accept and what I must change. There is also how to be in the space of acceptance when we are stuck. And then there's the sense of, can I look at something differently and get unstuck? And that brings in another level of acceptance. When we talk about, okay, what I must accept in my life, but then there's also how do I accept something else or someone else? How do I accept another person's perspective? How can I accept that another person is doing this or that or thinks of this or that way? And so there's something here that has us put ourselves in their position. And so when we bring that to a social justice perspective, you know, it's a hard one because it's very easy to look at people who think differently than we do and say, well, those people are just wrong. And yes. And sometimes that's true. <laughs> yes. But we also have to understand or find some way of looking differently at it, I think. Right. right. And, you know, it's hard because I think we're very often accused of looking at them in a sort of condescending way when we do that, you know, where they just don't understand or they're coming from a place of fear, you know, or, or what, you know, whatever that is. And I, I think we have to find a way to do it that is a little less condescending and a little more understanding. And that's part of acceptance too. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's, that's not, that's not an easy one either. <laughs> no, none, of, none of this is none easy. Of it is. <laughs> not, yeah. You know, the whole, the whole concept of acceptance is not easy. True. And accepting, you know, and, and it goes back to, to accepting ourselves and, and which one of us has not had like inner self-loathing or, you know, at least low self-esteem or low self-worth or, you know, any of those things. Right. And so when we talk about acceptance, we struggle through that too. And, and that's all in this as well, Absolutely. you know, so yeah. with the wheel of fortune to accept whatever life gave us in terms of our, our internal structure, you know, recognizing our inner and outer flaws and that's ah, just how that is. And then, you know, I, I had a sister who was much better looking than I was. And that brings in the justice card. Like, how exactly did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, mm. and how that just feels unfair. But I have to recognize that everything that I've been given, everything that I am inherently is what is me. And that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so acceptance is self-acceptance. It's acceptance of circumstance. It's acceptance of others. And in the three cards we've talked about so far, it's all in there. Yes, indeed. So what is number four? 
Well, our fourth and final card is Major Arcana 13, Death. And Death, the, the fact that we have a card called Death is the reason that a lot of people fear tarot. They fear a tarot reading because they're afraid they're going to get the Death card. And I'll tell you that predictively, in terms of divination, when that card comes up in a reading, it tends to be a change of a job getting married, having a baby, very often really positive things. It is just transition, transformation, and change. Uh, it, we often say it does not predict a physical death. But on a spiritual level, we recognize the ultimate truth that you and I and everyone we know will die, that everyone and everything dies. And that's a freaking hard thing to accept, too, because every fiber of our being, every cell, every part of ourselves on a body, mind, and spirit level is programmed, inherently hardwired to stay alive, to live, to be alive. And the idea that that will someday cease to happen is, is pretty tough. And then the people that we love. You know, we want them to be alive too. And so recognizing that we are temporal is a hard lesson and, and that's, that's part of it. But it's, it's not just, again, physical death. It's that everything changes. Nothing stays the same. And, and that actually even goes back to the wheel of fortune, which is always turning. There are cycles of life. And there's a justice thing in there, too, because we live in a world that sort of really isn't fair to children, isn't fair to old people, you know, like honors people at certain ages more than at other ages in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's there's, you know, that that's in there, too. So how we accept change and how do we accept when other people change? We're always supposed to grow. We're always supposed to change. But what is the thing we say to someone when we're upset with them? You've changed. Right. <laughs> that was kind of the assignment. Wow. Yeah. That's a very astute point to make uh, in this season of Samhain. This this will post on uh, October 20th. So we're getting close to Samhain, which is about honoring people who have passed physically. But the mm -hmm. sort of deeper lesson in there is interesting to think about as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so interesting in that it is also, Samhain is also the harvest. So right. there's this gratitude for what we're harvesting, this honoring of those who have passed on, honoring our ancestors, recognizing our own mortality, but it's also the witch's new year. Yes. So <laughs> welcoming in this, so, you know, again, there's like the old and the new and, and all of those things together. And, and so we could also say when we look at these cards that part of acceptance is about balance. And we see that injustice is, is literally a person holding scales. Uh, but even with death, the idea that death is the ultimate fairness and that no one escapes it. Hmm. and that we have to find this balance in the way that we think 
because on one hand, we must know that at any minute, terrible things could happen. And yet we must plan our lives and live our lives like we're going to have this great life and live to be 150 or whatever, even though we know that that may not be. And so finding that balance of, I'm aware that all this terrible stuff could happen, and yet I'm going to go forward anticipating wonderful things. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate your insights. And I think that a lot of people think of tarot as just a form of divination and people going to a reader to find out if the boyfriend wants to marry them or what the next <laughs> thing will happen in their right. life or that sort of thing. Will he call me? <laughs> Which is fine, you know, yeah, but I think what you're talking about is really gathering wisdom from yeah. these archetypes, yes. you know, in some way. So yes. is there a way, how do you express that to someone who maybe isn't particularly spiritual or could, you know, a, as a way of accessing it from a different perspective, from a, it's, you know, it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, obviously I, I grew up uh, with a Christian background. My father was a Methodist minister and, and for me, it was like memorizing Bible verses, you know, that you memorize this spiritual wisdom. So it will be with you. Um, or from like my favorite prose poem to Siderata, nurture strength of spirit to shield you in difficult times. Hmm. And, you know, someone who is not as spiritual, I think you could come at it that way and say, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And there are, you know, tarot is based on pictures that have a resonance for all of us, you know, images that, that evoke things with which we are all familiar. And when we study them, we learn things about life that help us process things that happen in life. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So here's my throwback question to you. Okay. <laughs> we spoke in 2019. And it was a very different world then. It was, a, it was a complicated world, but it was different than now, for sure. So do you have anything to say about discerning thinking magically from magical thinking now? Now that too much magical thinking in a pandemic really can prove deadly, like very literally. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And the way that spiritual people have processed the pandemic you know, again, whether we're talking about like um, the evangelical community versus the new age community or whatever, there's a lot of disparity there. And it's a hard thing. And it goes back to the great need for nuanced thinking, right? Because it's really easy to say the pharmaceutical companies are evil. And in a lot of ways, yeah. And yet life-saving medication is life-saving medication. And it's great to say that a good, healthy diet makes a difference in a person's health and in a person's health outcomes. And that is absolutely true. But to think that the fact that I eat this diet is going to shield me from a negative outcome in a pandemic 
that's a really tough thing. And that does go into magical thinking. It absolutely does. The people who are, you know, okay, I've got diet. I've got essential oils. I've got herbology. I've got all of these things. And these things are real. And it does work. And they do matter. But when we talk about a pandemic, you know, I was, I was speaking with someone the other day who was very sweetly vaccine hesitant. And she recognizes that she really needs to go forward and get the vaccine. And she's very uncomfortable with it. And she's older, uh, older than me, which is ancient. And... <laughs> And what she what she said is, you know, I have just never done my health care this way. And this is a woman who, as I said, like she's probably in her 60s. Um, she looks great. She's working full time. She's full of energy. She's healthy. And so her way of doing her health care has been to eat right, to do yoga, to go to the gym, to exercise, to use herbs, to do all the things. And it's worked for her brilliantly. And now she needs to trust a pharmaceutical company to give her an injection. And that is so against everything she has ever done or ever needed to do. Hmm. Except someone probably gave them to her when she was a baby. I did say that to her. Which helped her tremendously, <laughs> I, I would think. I did say that to her and she agreed. Okay. And then I said, you have never lived in a pandemic before. And I think that's the thing when you're, you know, because the last pandemic was a hundred years ago. So there are very few people on the planet who were alive and remember that. And so this is new for all of us. And we don't have a sense of how to respond because we've never had to do this before. And we're not good at wrapping our brains around this idea of something so very new. And so then we think about that and we think about these four cards of tarot. I mean, it's definitely death in a whole entire change. Our, our world has absolutely changed. And this hanged man thing of we are stuck with this and we are going to have to have a different perspective. And there's this other piece too, okay, I'm, I'm working backward now, justice, <laughs> where, you know, when we talk about a personal and private health decision, whether you're going to be vegetarian, vegan, keto, whatever diet you're going to choose, that's a personal decision. But the vaccine is more than a personal decision because it affects the community. And at that point, there's this thing of fairness where, you know, can we pull together as a community? Can we work together as a community? And so this whole magical thinking around, you know, I get to determine what I'm going to do, you know, really does it, it a lot of it is sort of, I, I would say, sort of rugged American individualism in a toxic kind of a way. Except it's happening in other countries too. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of magical thinking going on there, and and it's concerning. Yeah, I wish there were an immediate solution, but there's <laughs> not doesn't seem to be. But but I do. Um, 
at least that's a good insight of just how, especially with people who are hesitant, but convincible. That's right. a good kind of conversation to be able to have, you know? Yeah. So. And, and yeah, just to, to recognize that, you know, these are, these are very different times. This is a very different thing. We've, we've not faced this before. Exactly. I, I remember right, right before, before I had even heard of COVID, uh, there was an Ebola outbreak uh, somewhere in Africa. And the healthcare workers who had gone there, volunteered to go there to help out, were being murdered because the people there believed that they were spreading the disease and that they had come to spread the disease. I remember that. That was terrifying. Right? Terrible. Yeah. Right. And I remember thinking, wow, what a privilege it is to live in a country where that would never happen. And now I'm not so sure that I live in such a country. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yeah. So these are tough times. Absolutely. Well, well on that. Well, Strange note, we should probably start wrapping, but <laughs> I want to ask you, I know you're involved in an event called StarCon, um, yes. which is Southeastern Tarot Artists and Readers Conference, is that correct? Yes, it is. So, okay, uh, I have always wanted to host a tarot conference. The tarot community is worldwide, and it's more than just tarot. It's all divination, astrology, spirituality, art, mysticism, and magic. And we have a worldwide community and we like to get together at conferences. And so uh, I thought it would be a great idea to have a conference here in South Florida. And I started planning it pre-pandemic. And every time I pulled a card on it, um, the tower came up. And if you know anything about tarot, the tower <laughs> is usually like, yeah, don't do that. But of course you go ahead and do it anyway. And, and here's the pandemic. Uh, so last year we had our first conference online on Excelevance, a conferencing program, and it was wonderful. And so this year we're hybrid. We are in person in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida at the Doubletree and online on Excelevance. And this is going to be a wonderful conference. We have more than 30 speakers and it's three days and then a 30 day StarCon Afterglow where we can watch the recordings of the classes, and we have a couple of live events online on Excelevance. So wherever you're at, if you can travel, if you're not traveling, if you're ready to travel, if you're not ready to travel, either way, StarCon is there for you. You can find out more and get your ticket at StarCon.com. It's S-T-A-A-R-C-O-N.com. Okay. And we will definitely have the link on our show notes as well. Perfect. And it's January 21st through 23rd. 2022. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, so again, like happy Halloween, blessed Salin. Uh, happy birthday, I believe, is coming up in You're three days right. after this post as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that is so true. Thank you for remembering. Yes, I still celebrate my birthday as uh, this is my, my last year of my 50s and I'm uh, still celebrating. There you go. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks so much, Christiana. Thank you, Robin. It's great to speak with you. You too.
You got questions? We got answers. Today's question comes from Rich Orloff, and he asks, what is the best life-changing decision you've made? That, I'm still <laughs> contemplating that, actually. Yeah. It's a hard question and a really good one, a really good one. I have, well, probably I would say mine must be divorcing my second husband. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> that changed my life. Well, deciding to divorce him, you know, it took, you know, once you make that decision, there's time that, and a process that happens. But when I decided that I had had enough, it was after a very big fight and I think he had broken a mirror by punching it instead of me. And I had taken a piece of the glass and I remember dragging it across my wrist and drawing blood. And I'm sitting there in like the, the library room in our house crying and looking at my, my wrist bleeding and thinking, you know, Wendy, you just put a $50,000 price tag on your life. Because if I had just walked away from everything, that's what I would have lost. And I said to myself, you are worth so much more than that. It's time to end this relationship. And it took a minute, but it, I did. And, and life got way better. So, mm. yeah, that's that story. <laughs> I've heard you mention pieces of that before. And that, that's a good decision. Yeah, it was yeah. a good decision. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, one of the biggest decisions that I remember clearly making was on the eve of my 13th birthday. And I remember writing in my journal and somehow I came to this idea or, or understanding that I could take a path, like an easier path and get along okay in life, or I could be myself and be more fulfilled. Oh, wow. And I took that second choice, which I seem to mostly have stayed with <laughs> in life. That's really cool that you, A, knew enough about yourself at age 13 to be able to do that. And, you know, the self-awareness. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> but no, also, I'm yeah. glad you made that decision. Yeah, me too. Me too. And in more recent times, you know, I, I can't even say this is more of a, it, maybe it's not a decision, but it's more of an attitude of choosing to be more honest with myself in my desires and intentions. Like, I just feel like I'm living better. And I, maybe it's not a decision. It's like a, it's like a growth spurt or something <laughs> where... I'm just clearer. If I don't want something, if I don't want a relationship, I, I'm uh, I'm okay with that, or I'm okay with I'm not I'm not I, I guess I did you know you say like all right I made that decision when I was 13, but then you can fall into these situations of well if I'm just a little less of myself or a little more like what I think this person wants, then I'll be liked more or I'll get along better mm. or something you know and I think that. I have made compromises like that. So maybe this is like a re reassertion of that decision originally. Cool. To kind of go, okay, yeah, no, I, I need to really stay stay to who I am and yeah. go for what I want. Yeah, because so. people will like you. 
the people who are worth knowing will like you. Right. And it's not worth being <laughs> liked for something that I'm actually not. Yeah. Because that sucks. Because then you're stuck in a situation. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm still trying to be me. Well, thank you for that question, Rich Orloff. Thank you. So in our next show, you will get to listen in on a great conversation I had with Emma, who is the writer and multimedia storyteller behind Plate Less Ordinary, a website about the intersection of food, culture, and technology. Ooh. So definitely stay tuned for that. And we told you up above how to get in touch <laughs> with us and sign on and get, get downloads and all that. So definitely do. And uh, for now, I am Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music, on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And if you are in the subgenius circles or, or if you are on Discord, you can find me as Andrew Genus. <laughs> I still love that name. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy with Wendy Cards with a Z. And if you're on Discord, you can find me as Voxwoman is my handle in a lot of places. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Send us your questions and we might answer it on a future show. And have a great fortnight. All right. <laughs> have a great fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how we're signing off now? <laughs> I don't know. That's how I'm signing off today. We're gonna keep trying. We'll get we'll get that that quintessential uh, signature sign off eventually. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>